Hello strangers and welcome to a delayed, and our apologies for that, personal commitments have got in the way, to a delayed, as I've just said, episode 43 of Strangers in a Cinema. Alright, um, yeah, I love the way that you've sort of dignified this with a personal, what was that, personal commitments? Personal commitments, yes. Yeah. I, I went to see Iron Maiden and sort of got drunk an entire weekend, <laughs> so those are my personal commitments that I had to... Uh, Sort of I was giving on. you a pass there, so you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, still not fully recovered. Going to struggle through this thing. Uh, do our best to, to bring something fairly presentable uh, to the show this week. Um, yeah, we've got all the regular parts of the show in order. That's going to be us starting off with the in the foyer section, coined by Paul a few weeks ago, um, in which we'll discuss a topic that relates to cinema going and film and stuff at the moment. Um, then we'll get from that into the popcorn counter or up to the popcorn counter. Uh, where we review the films that we've seen in the last seven days, or in this case, 14 days. And from my side, that's not actually that many, <laughs> considering I've had twice as much time as usual. Um, then we go from there to coming attractions, settle in your seat, get ready for a preview of a couple of films that are coming up in the next little while. I think mine's coming very soon, and yours is maybe a yeah. little after that. Yeah. Um, then we're on to features. For this week, Paul, what have we got? So we've got uh, Alien Covenant. Um, we may touch on the other Alien films, but as you've probably gathered by now, this isn't the Alien special that we were going to do, and as I said, apologies on that one, but Alien Covenant, we may touch on the other films in the review of that. Uh, and then we've got um, Sean Foley's directed Mindhorn, starring Julian Barrett. Yeah, which, um, which we, we finally got to see, which was nice. Well, so. we also sort of moaned about for ages because they weren't going to show it here and then they yes. did a week later. So so really looking forward to that review. Finally, uh, we step into the homework assignment section of the show where we will um, yeah assign each other a film that we've got to see in the next, what will be seven days. I've been thinking time. of a name for that section rather than homework. Hit me, man. I'm thinking maybe we call it home releases. That sounds so dirty, though. Do you think? Home releases. <laughs> Home releases Maybe for a man who just got rid then. of his PSVR. Home releases. It just <laughs> paints a picture that that I don't think. Um, Maybe not home releases then. Just I think keep working on it. Do you we'll think I'm, I'm enamoured with the magic of in the foyer and I've rolled straight to the success of that and <laughs> to, probably been overconfident to home releases. And also there is uh, there is an elephant in the room today, isn't there? Well, not an elephant, an actual another person with us. A um, third human yes. being. A yeah. third human being, and it's not Connor. Um, it nice. is uh, a, a man that I'd like to introduce to everyone as Jack. Um, Jack's going to be producing the show for us. So, uh, Jack, say hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is a great opportunity for me to join you two, uh, listen to your banter about films, <laughs> and watch the levels. And, 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 like, cut out all the crap bits and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I so. guess so. But that's <laughs> what we'll see when we listen back to it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And going forward, we're thinking that probably Jack's going to come on as a third voice as well and contribute and, and basically provide like sort of checks and balances and all the kind of... And cut us off when we're rambling, yeah, basically. Absolutely. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's useful, I think, for everybody. And I think it was quite a good dynamic when we had Connor doing that role before, right? Yeah. The only downside to that was that the guy never watched any films, as we've established in the past. Yeah. So, Although yeah. he does watch films all the time now, but I he's, know, he's moved away. Weird so. that, isn't it? Welcome, Jack. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, without hanging around um, chatting anymore, let's get into the show. And Paul, I know that you've brought to the table this time round a, a really great in the foyer section um, or topic focus. What have you got for us? Yeah. So I know we've we touched on we've touched on Netflix um, releasing films instead of well buying up films and putting them on Netflix instead of cinema releases. And I kind of wanted to. It's kind of a continuation of that, really. And obviously, Cannes is uh, in full flow at the moment. Um, and the new film Okja by the director 
you can say his name better than me, Pete. Uh, Bong Joon-ho. That's the one, Bong Joon-ho, because I'd forgotten the director's name. Um, so my apologies, <laughs> Bong Joon-ho, um, for <laughs> that one. reveal what's um, going on behind the curtain, yes, Paul. Yes, yeah. So, um, so basically, this screened, um, this screened at Cannes, and there was, I think, a number of reasons for the booing. There was some technical issues, um, so it was booed for that reason, which I suppose I, I kind of get. But also, there seemed to be booing from the Cannes audience, um, just at the fact there was a Netflix logo on the screen. Yeah, I mean, um, if you were to search on um, Google Buddha Cam, which is something that I just did, you'll find that the first story is saying uh, Netflix's Opture uh, gets Buddha Cam as moviegoers prefer the theatre. So it seems like the protest is about the fact that we're moving away from a sort of theatre-only yeah. model of film. Now, and also, um, Pedro Almodovar, who's a director I have nothing but great respect for, also said that he's got some concerns that there were films being put into the festival that weren't getting a theatrical release. Mm. Um what I say to this is, quite frankly, fuck off. <laughs> I'm sorry, I feel that strongly on this. If It's all well and good for people who live in their crystal castles. Obviously, crystal castles are a thing now that Pedro Almodovar lives in. Um, <laughs> he lives in his crystal castle where he's got his own screening room and everyone can go to the cinema and everyone can see every film that comes out. Not everyone can, as we know, no pun intended, um, as we know, it's quite difficult to see a lot of these films in cinemas. I understand the business case for certain multiplexes not showing them. I don't necessarily agree with it. So Okja, we would never have got to see in Cheltenham. It's very unlikely we'd have got to see this film. And Netflix are putting them on day and day. I think Netflix should be applauded and the can judges should just get over themselves and realise this is this is the future. Yeah, I, I think I basically agree with you. I suppose the other side of this, this debate from, from where I'm standing might be that because Netflix is just growing and growing and growing and sort of just swallowing up um, vast swathes of the industry, we might get to a point where they're monopolising the purchasing of properties like this. So, mm. yes, for example, Bong Joon-ho's Joon last film, Snowpiercer, failed to get distribution in theatres here. And this well, that's because... Once they want to bury it, as well. right? And, and like, but like you're saying, that would have happened probably again with with Okja. I think what I want in a sort of perfect future is a situation where there is a, a, a kind of healthier competition than maybe what we have now when it comes to streaming pl platforms and sort of methods of of distribution, rather than the idea that Netflix can just sweep in, buy up all these properties, and we don't know then that they're guaranteed to treat them with the respect that they deserve. Yes, if they show up on the platform, then that's maybe all that we need. Mm. But some things on that platform are promoted some things you, you know you mentioned the Weinstein burial of, uh, of Snowpiercer you can bury a film on Netflix you just don't put it on the front page you put it in a section you don't advertise the fact that it's there so I don't think that it's black and white you know the idea of booing this bad Netflix good but then I don't think that's necessarily what you're suggesting anyway no right? and I think in an ideal world you know release release it in both the cinema and on Netflix but the problem is there's so little cinemas that would show these films that even you know even if even if Netflix does kind of bury it, that doesn't ultimately bother me because people people are going to know the, these are films that people know are coming out anyway. You're not going to be oh you're not going to be oh surprised. There's Okja, like you know pe people are well aware that this film's coming out, so at least people can find it. I do see where you're coming from. Maybe it's not going to give it the chance to shine, but I'd almost rather it be buried on Netflix and be there for people to watch than just not in cinemas. For sure, I think I so, agree with you on that. And and yeah, you're saying you know people will know that something like Okja's there. I mean can we just reiterate the fact that this is one of the greatest working Asian directors yes. and Jake Gyllenhaal's face yes. what else do you want so yeah <laughs> and Tilda Swinton's in it as well don't, so. yeah and Tilda yeah. Swinton's in it so don't don't let it be buried I mean that's kind of up to you isn't it if you've got access to Netflix which sort of most people have and I guess that's part of that monopolising of the industry anyway but um, yeah the, I mean I had a side point here Paul just to add in a, mm. a little boot for, um, for Cam which is this story maybe notwithstanding 
the idea that every year we have to have a new cycle of which film got booed at Cannes, I find incredibly tiring. Yeah, they're supposed to be grown-ups. <laughs> yeah, what are we doing booing stuff? Like, I understand in this case, maybe it's a little different because we're talking about the way film is distributed, but, you know, you've had things in the past like um, The Brown Bunny, uh, Vincent Gallo's film, getting booed. And oftentimes I feel that it's more, for me, it's more revealing of a film that's challenging or interesting, and people can't handle that, so they just end up booing it. And I just think it's quite a petulant and petty I think only, only, only God Forgives got booed as well didn't it as another, as another film from recently uh, only God Forgives which... got booed in the actual screening I went to see it in in oh, this town it? yeah but, <laughs> oh, wow. but not by me but not by me <laughs> Uh, uh, so yeah, it's, I know I, I kind of agree with you. It, it, it's ch it's childish, and I don't really. It's there's a massive disrespect for for people's work, especially when, you know, the directors are, I would imagine are normally in the can sitting in the can screening. So it's just hugely disrespectful. You wouldn't go to the cinema, the theatre and stop booing, um, unless it's a pantomime, of course. But I do have to make a confession though, Paul, as so as to not be a complete hypocrite. I've just realised that I kind of once did boo a film at a festival, just very quietly, kind of to myself, and that was the uh, Harmony Korine movie, Trash Humpers, that I told you about. You love Harmony Korine, that, don't you? That deserves all the boos. So, yeah, I, I just wouldn't be standing up, you know, trying to encourage other people to, to react in that sort of way. But, yeah, I think the long and short of this is um, we're looking forward to watch getting a release. It's yes. going to get one through Netflix, and overall, seems like that's yeah. I mean, a it's so album. far for me that the Netflix get involved in film distribution, despite the, the, that David Ehrlich article I think you mentioned about him burying films, is quite an interesting read. But so far for me, I think it's been positive, and the fact that I'm not going to have to wait months for Octa to come out on Blu-ray, I think, is fantastic. Whether it harms the only downside of it is it, it may harm the home release sales it may harm the blu-ray sales of it but less and less people are buying blu-rays anyway so we shall see that could be the flip side yeah but and to, to to your early point i mean in the david Ehrlich case this is the the editor of the film editor of indywire um he lives in a major american city that's going to get distribution of every yes. single limited release film and that comes back to our point about when you don't live in one of those places a platform like netflix can be invaluable for seeing this kind of stuff yeah right um Let's get on with the show, Paul. We're going to get into uh, popcorn movies, right? Yes, we are. Step oh. up to the counter. Uh, as I said early on, I haven't seen as much as I would have liked in the last couple of weeks. But tell me that you've seen more than I have, and that I you've got. Believe some I've seen more juicy than you reviews. Have. I believe I've seen more than you have this week. And this is a good time actually to take a slight side note and tell people my uh, my project for the year. Um, I've got this few issues in my life at the moment, which is a massive relief. Um, that my project for the year is by the end of the year to have watched 365 different films. Um, as of today, I have broken even uh, and I am on 130 something. I'm, I'm basically. I I've thought seen. You broke 140 the other Maybe day. I broke 140 yeah. then. So I'm on as many. I've seen as many films this year as there have been films, as there have been days in the year so far. Now, be so, completely honest, Paul. Have you multi screened at any point and had like three or four films I going have not, at the same time? And I have not done what I used count. to do when I was a student. And then when I was a student, I do remember once watching Commando on 1.5 speed on a Blu ray player. It makes Arnie's voice sound hilarious, but also means you can squeeze more films in. I have not done that yet. And that unless I'm really struggling by the end of the year, I will not be watching films at 1.5 so, speed. So, with this gargantuan haul of films that you've been watching recently, um, what have you decided to review first? So, popcorn, popcorn movies this time. week is. Um, uh, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. Oh, good uh, God. This is the problem with watching so many films in a year. You end up watching Guy Ritchie's yes, new film? Yes, uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Um, it's tanked at the box office, um, and to be honest, deservedly so. Um, I really, really struggled with this film. Um, so this is telling the, the, the mythical story of King Arthur... 
It's, um, well, it's telling Guy Ritchie's version of the mythical story of King Arthur, where he's a bit of a Jack the Lad, and uh, he's grown up, and it's all a bit like Lockstock, and you're like, he's a, he's a geezer. And then Jude Law comes in, and is terrible, as Jude Law always is. And then loads of CGI happens, and then it ends, and you don't really understand what's happened in the whole film. Mm. Um, I Yeah, I did not enjoy this at all. The, like Guy Ritchie, I, personally for me, thinks he's a lot cleverer director than he actually is. So what he'll do is the characters will all be really ladding about, planning, they'll be planning the scenes. They'll be like, what we're going to do, we're going to attack this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to attack this. And then what's really clever is it flashes forward, so you see it happen while they're actually planning it happen. Yeah, Clever, right? I like right. the way you went, it flashes forward, and it actually sounded quite cockney as you yeah. said that. He's in keeping forwards. with the whole uh, Flashes forward, so you see what's going to happen. And then what, but basically what happens, it means that for me, at least 80% of this film is a fucking montage, right. and you just end up with a headache. I just, I can't really recommend this. You're, you're in quite sweary form this week. Is this what Guy Ritchie's done to you? This is what <laughs> Guy Ritchie's done to me. And also, I'm, I'm, so yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. I am eager, though, to tell you a Guy Ritchie joke that I made up. I do it. So... There is also the the news that Guy Ritchie's going to direct a live action version of Aladdin, and do you know why this is? Why is that, Paul? Because he's got Aladdin. <laughs> oh, I, you see, God. if I haven't heard is this that, is why Jack's here. This is yeah, why Jack's here. Yeah. Yeah. Stop this. Yeah. <laughs> the, the difference might be that I have heard that a couple of times this week already from yes. Paul. I should say, yeah, not yeah. not from other places. Yeah. So so maybe I haven't got the same first contact impact high that you know Jack's getting in in this this <laughs> I mean, instance. It does it it does seem strange that Guy Ritchie has taken that sort of fantasy role and turned it into a, a gangster film. But kind of, yeah, and it's, it's bizarre, but what what comes out, and I'm not adverse to the idea of changing up the King Arthur legend, and I like the idea of doing things a bit differently, but the way he's trying to just try to make it like Lockstock, and it comes across as like a, and the trouble is the CGI sequences, it comes across like a Lockstock version of The Last Witch Hunter or Gods of Egypt or oh, something right. like that. You're, for me, you're looking at that quality of film. So yeah, not, not an easy one to recommend. He's still getting money to do this though, isn't he? I mean, the best thing that Guy Ritchie has ever given the world, we can all agree, right? Jason Statham. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. it. I mean, we just, uh, you know, we reviewed, um, remind me, Paul, uh, the film recently had Jason Statham in it that I quite liked and you didn't like. Oh, Fast and Furious 8. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jason Statham's, I think, in my humble opinion, doing the finest work of his career right now. Guy Ritchie, on the ha other hand, maybe not, not so much no. from, from what you've said. And I haven't seen this one yet. But so I'll, let's I'll see, see if we can go for some sweary negativity to some positive positivity. Oh. There we go. Don't call positive. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely vital filmmaking makes uh, up my first choice for popcorn movies this week. It is uh, Andy Tennant. Yeah, that guy that I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah. uh, his film Fool's Gold, a vehicle for a younger... Is this um, a pre-McConaughey? Sort of uh, yeah, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, Andy Tennant, for those who care, directed Sweet Home Alabama, The Bounty Hunter, that excellent Gerard Butler, Jennifer Aniston <laughs> vehicle. Um, so yeah, you know the kind of territory ever after? Um, the kind of territory that we're in? Yeah, it's weird to go back and watch a Matthew McConaughey pre-McConaughey film. Um, in this, he plays a man called Finnegan, who is seeking buried, well, sort of buried treasure, treasure that's been um, washed up on the shore of a, an ocean. I think in Miami or around Key Biscayne. In the, actually, funnily enough, the area where my sister lives. Um, she's never gone looking for that treasure. He does. And then we spend a lot of time sort of belabouring um, how and why the treasure got to be in that position or perhaps got to be in that position. He's joined in this quest by his 
ex newly ex-wife Kate Hudson oh another fine talent and then teams <laughs> up with a moneyed yacht owner played by Donald Sutherland to be honest the best thing in, in this film um, and his young daughter uh, played by an actress Alexis Jenna who I didn't know much about before this but yeah it's all to say if you've seen that movie Into the Blue which I have with Paul Walker and Jessica Alba it's very much like the same territory and about as silly um, which is better is Into the Blue better than Fool's Gold or? I don't know man like there are parts of this that are played quite slapstick which I sort of enjoyed on their own terms um, there's not too much to recommend it to be honest but Matthew McConaughey has a good time he's game for the role it's very badly written the dialogue's yeah very very poor um, you kind of know where it's going the whole time there are a lot of, sort of disposable um, side characters who don't really get any character development at all but go for Donald Sutherland or, you know, go. Where are you going to go? Get get it home for Donald Sutherland sitting around looking sort of wealthy and a little bit disillusioned and a little bit confused about what he's doing in this film. Um, <laughs> Fool's gold. Paul, so what are you that, next? So I'm, I am actually going to bring some genuinely positivity, genuine positivity to the table now. Um, and I'm going to talk about uh, Nacho Viga Londo, uh, his latest film, Colossal, uh, starring Anne Hathaway who realises that she is in control of a giant monster that's been attacking Saul. Um, it's as bizarre as it sounds. Who's Saul? Is it Saul? Saul? Is it Saul? Saul from like no. Better Call Saul. No, that would be interesting. South in. Korean capital, is Yes. It? Yeah. So, yeah. So, My so, former home never mentioned it, mate. You, uh, you yeah, still live in Korea, mate. Didn't did really you? bring that up on the show ever? No, I think you mentioned it once or twice. But um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, Anne Hathaway is in control of this monster that's attacking the capital of South Korea, um, and she kind of—it's bizarre. It's as bizarre as it sounds, um, but it's so good, so good. I genuinely came out of it thinking that is that is heartfelt, like brilliantly acted. Um, there's so many elements to it. It's not the straight up sci-fi film that you may expect from the trailers um, you've got Jason Sudeikis here who I normally don't rate at all as an actor he's on he's on great form um, and basically to without giving too much away obviously that that is kind of incidental to the story Anne Hathaway's going through some issues with alcoholism as is Jason Sudeikis uh, Dan Stevens turns up as her kind of suffering boyfriend who's trying to help her out Dan Stevens from The Guest yes Dan Stevens yeah. from The Guest yeah um, and it's just I said I don't want to give too much away but it's it's just it's very unpredictable as well like, you're giving it, too much away mate it's unpredictable too much away, yeah. <laughs> it's spoiled now no it, it leads you it kind of leads you in one direction um, it leads you in one direction and then like switches out from under you and you're like okay I didn't see it going that way and then it will it kind of baits and switches you again with the, which characters are kind of good and bad there's no, there's not obvious bad guys and villains um but yeah and I'm, I'm not making myself have, have you always been on side with Anne Hathaway or have you sort of come round to her recently do you think um Probably for the most part, always on side. Because she fair. got she got some flack, I think, sort of earlier on, and f people found it to be a sort of bit precious and a bit try try hard, maybe. But you're a fan. I'm now, a fan. She, least. I mean, especially in this, she's on fantastic form. Just ev everyone is is very convincing in their roles, and to see her play kind of a damaged individual, I think, is a bit of a different role for her. To be yeah, honest. I mean, we, we talked um, about, I think, briefly recently, the the, Jonathan, the death of Jonathan Demi and the fact that Rachel getting married, in my opinion, is probably Rachel getting married was a great his best film, yeah. work, yeah. I would say, and she's fantastic in that, and again has a lot of issues, and I think that yeah. that iteration of, of Anna, Anne Hathaway yeah. is maybe where she's strongest. Although you know, fans of musical theatre and stuff might disagree yeah. but um 
yeah, cool. Well, it no, sounds really, really good, and I'm looking forward. It to is that. superb, and it's. it's I said I'm. I'm trying. I'm not deliberately being vague. I'm just trying not to give away. You know, a lot of the key plot points because you know, and the and the giant monster scenes are actually fantastically well put together, and it feels a bit like Pacific Rim in those kind of scenes. But it's a very bizarre, very different film, and I genuinely think it might it might be pushing for a position in the top ten list at the end of the year. So sorry to put you on the fo- on the spot, but is Nacho Vigalondo the guy who directed Time Crime? It is. Yes. Yeah, which, yeah. which was just phenomenally yeah. good. So yeah, I mean, it's pedigree that would would take me to certainly yeah. see it. I'm going to see it this week but yeah really excited actually yeah no it was really really good and uh, yeah as I said uh, you know I think I genuinely believe it might be bothering the top 10 list at the end of the year so I, li- I liked it nice. that much yeah it was good what have you got next Pete uh, I've got the film based on my life The Great Wall um, <laughs> directed by <laughs> Zhang Yimou. Um that's my surname to explain um, <laughs> great Pete Great uh, yeah directed by <laughs> Zhang Yimou the director of amongst other things Curse the Golden Flower and House of Flying Daggers my favourite of his films I would say um, and starring and here's where maybe the problems lie uh, Matt Damon so um, Paul you talked about this one on yes. a previous episode I believe and you probably came down the side of, as I remember of not particularly liking it I thought it was visually it was astonishing um, yeah, I have to but, agree with that, absolutely. But the rest but of it, I thought it fell apart really a little bit. Yeah, well, I think you're both on fairly, well, pretty much the same page as me. There are sort of two films here. Like, yeah. there's one, which is this just jaw-droppingly stunning visual feast of, like, colour choices and shot choices and scale and scope that I think almost no one can do as well as Zhang Yimou. On the other hand, you've got all the narrative stuff involving Matt Damon, which just feels like sort of bolted on. And I think this exists very much in the world we're living in, where I was talking to you about this, Paul, off uh, mic, but the fact that um, the actress in this, um, I'm looking for the name, uh, Zhang Hanyu, is that her name? No, no. Ling Genshin, I think is her name. She was the actress who was also in um, Kong Skull Island. The Asian oh, actress yes. in Kong Skull Island. I didn't clock the... Yeah, she was. And, I didn't and she clock got that almost no screen Kong time Island. in that film. Yeah. But it turns out that there's a Chinese language cut of the film in which she gets a lot more screen time. I have the feeling that there might also be a Chinese language cut of this movie in mm. which Matt Damon gets less screen time. Because... It feels like what we're trying to do is capture both a Western audience who's f- who are familiar with it, like an A-list star, and capture an Asian audience what who are familiar with an A-list director. We live in where there's two cuts of a film for it different countries to make cultures, money in different. And I don't think it worked with this. Film. It's a money-making yeah, choice, I think, absolutely. above everything else. And and you know, if that allows Zhang Yimou to do the work that he's doing, then again, I think the issue is a bit more complicated than maybe just good or bad. But unfortunately, it means that the film comes out being sort of both good and bad. And yeah, that's a strange the CGI place to be. beastie bits are just a bit crap. Like is that that oh, was really the like, whole. I didn't like what they looked like, to be honest. No, was, uh... but then you have like the teams of jumpers. So yeah, you look amazing. Yeah, it's the all... thing in IMAX looks like uh, genuinely unbelievable. I've said so next good. to nothing about the film, incidentally, but yeah. I mean <laughs> the, the actual setup. But yeah, as Paul mentioned, there's, there's these kind of beasties attacking uh, a fortified Great Wall of China, which is in a sort of imagined. Um, version of history where it has to be protected by um, like flaming cannonballs and uh, sort of bungee jumping assassins with like swords and stuff. I mean some of that stuff was just fantastic like I can't underline enough how much I enjoyed it but then we cut back to like silly dialogue between Matt Damon and his his cohort and 
and it just feels like yeah I don't want to be in that film I want to be in that one and I just want to watch this director do this this yes. stunning stunning work so it, I, I would recommend it to other people but maybe just um, with, the, with a pinch of salt yeah with a big pinch of <laughs> Matt Damon salt I said home releases sounded weird well that's true yeah um, yeah. Paul I think we've got something else to add to this we have yeah right? so um, what we're going to do is rather than doing uh, homework uh, at the end because it feels a little bit forced in there I think we're going to talk about the films we were set for homework as part of the popcorn movie section so this is uh, uh, I think a suggestion of Jack so if it goes wrong you can uh, you can, can blame, you can blame Jack absolutely yeah. um, so yes so basically I'm going to talk about Shivers which was the homework that I think I ended up picking myself off my DVD shelf which was good yeah, um, well, it worked out that I'd seen it and you hadn't, so it was yes. a kind of works. No, it does, it does, it does work well, works well. And uh, Magic Mike was what you were going to set me, so I don't know whether right. I've dodged. I'm not sure whether I dodged a bit there or not, because, uh, but yeah, so Shivers directed by David Cronenberg. Um, I am a big fan of David Cronenberg. I like a lot of his work. Um, I've watched through a number of his short films recently, which will probably come up on the next episode, which is fascinating to watch. But that's a, that's a side note. Shivers, I don't think I liked as much as some of his other work. Um, I kind of enjoyed. The, I mean, as as ever with with Cronenberg, there's a silly kind of psycho. I say silly, but sort of a psychosexual premise to it, where the the slug these slug parasitic slugs um, are taking people over and essentially making everyone incredibly horny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, we could do a whole episode on on yes. saying the comment silly uh, psych. What was that? Silly psychosexual. Silly psychosexual. Yeah, because because um, to me that's the f the crux of why David Cronenberg's so great. But no, I know I'm not saying I, it was. It sounded derogatory. It's not meant to be derogatory um, in the slightest. Because but said, it comes about from like a motorbike crash, right in the beginning of this film. If yeah, I remember. it's yeah. a motorbike crash which leads to like a, a a gash, not in that way, on a person, and uh, from that protrudes like this kind of buggy. Yes, and there's. These, these slug things that, that take people over um, it all ends in this insane kind of orgy in a swimming pool and then they and then it's, it's kind of all they, it's a neat use of a location it's all set in one uh, sort of high end apartment building which is quite a nice comment on Cronenberg definitely commenting on society um, yeah I would say it's for me it was probably an interesting watch being a fan of his work more than it was enjoyable um, and I'll, I said I'll come back to some of his probably his, his earlier short films probably in the next episode, which I actually thought were more accomplished than Shivers. So it's not my favourite of his work. It's an interesting watch if you are a fan, but yeah. Well, see, this existed for me in a sort of battery of Cronenberg films that I think fundamentally changed me, but that's just because I got to see them on sort of like late night TV yeah. at about 15. And so I think that that makes a big difference where you access these things. But yeah, yeah. this thing is certainly rough around the edges, if I remember yeah. correctly, as are a number of the films yes. of that era of, of Cronenberg yeah. stuff. Um, I had from Paul the gift of Solaris as homework, which was a film that I had never caught up with, despite you know having intended. Well, to I only for, watched it recently, in fact, for years so. and years and years. Um, I'll be as brief as I possibly can, but this is, um, of course, the great Andrei Tarkovsky's space movie that, to me, turned out to be much less of a space movie than I was expecting. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it charts um, the journey to Solaris whereby the um, the members of the crew seem to have been bothered by... It's hard to sort of describe this setup without sort of spoiling how, how the film plays out, but um, things are amiss on this mission, and we knew from... Or we find out from the beginning of the film that there's been some sort of powerful effect on a particular individual brought about by external forces that need to be investigated. Is that vague enough to set yeah, up this film? I think, that, I think that's fair, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's all to say that I found the film really, really fascinating and, and really, really enjoyable. It's quite slow-paced at times. 
but it really deals not with the external, like um, something like 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is often cited alongside yeah. this, um, but more with the internal and the sort of inner life of a man coming to terms with or trying to come to terms with and being haunted by past decisions, mistakes, relationships and very human concerns that I think were a, a priority for Tarkovsky maybe mm. ahead of you know sp space facing sort of grandstanding would you would you sort of I, agree with that I would entirely agree with that it was a lot more of an emotional um, film than I thought it would be I thought there may be more sort of space sci-fi elements in it and I think in and that may be due to the Soderbergh remake actually which did I think ramp up the, the sci-fi and sort of space station elements at, point, at many points you forgot you were kind of on a space station although it's, it's relevant to the plot these these happenings the, the the apparitions that appear to them are due to some some kind of atmospheric thing in the planet possibly but it's kind of left vague and I like that it's left vague so no I, I really enjoyed it and um yeah it's it's not sometimes I feel a bit of a shame a sense of shame that I haven't seen certain films sooner but other times it's nice to discover them when you go oh great there's a fantastic film that I haven't seen so yeah, I'll be watching more Tarkovsky with, with you know fairly sharpish I would have thought well absolutely really we, we talked it, about so. this before Paul but like you know whether people want to admit it or not everybody has like loads and loads of gaps in classic films they haven't seen and that they should and I think like rather than us sort of harping on what we feel bad about it's that it's yeah. just enjoying these things you haven't experienced before and you know to sort of close out this review I would say that I suppose for me it, it worked so well because often things that connect with space aren't really about space right like the unknowable expanse is really about what's inside you not what's out there yeah um, and this has come up time and time again in movies since I think but you know the way that I raved about um, something like uh, gravity and one of the main points I had there was that like gravity isn't really about all the flashy space stuff like that looks amazing it's about the the loss that was experienced by yeah. the Sandra Bullock character and, and cyclical depression and I stand by that to, to this day so I think that there's a lot more going on here than just oh, a, an important yeah. 70s space yeah. movie right and if it seems like it might be a bit of a trudge give it the time it's two and a half I think hours it's meant so to be though. I think it's intentionally paced slowly so you kind of pay attention really so yeah no I, I thought it was I thought much like you I think I thought it was fantastic Right, so. let's get out of here, Paul. We've got to get into the coming attractions part of the show, right? Yes. What's coming up? Right, I have got... Now, I am... Uh, the Dark Tower. Um, the trailer dropped fairly recently, which is why we're talking about it, because it's films with trailers. I forgot that rule. I don't know why I'm talking at this precise moment in time, but I'm going to focus again. Should so we just both got... have, like, a lie-down on the floor yeah. for, like, 30 <laughs> seconds and just let this part phase yeah. into the next Jack, part. you're up. No, uh, um, so, no, the Dark Tower... Um, I've read the books. There's Stephen King's kind of magnum opus that was written over many, many years. There was some question, I think, over even in his own mind as to whether he was ever going to finish them. So, um, and this film has been talked about for many, many, many years now. I think, really? and it was going to be a film, then a TV show, then a TV show, then then seven films, then one film, then four films. Seems and it's, to be so, the case for a lot of things. Yeah. So, um, but it's finally happening. Um, Idris Elba's been cast in the lead role, which I think is, I think, could be a good choice. I fancied the lead to be a bit older. I'm doesn't. I couldn't give a shit whether he's black or white, although uh, some people, some of the some racist internet will, trolls really? have, have had a problem with it. It doesn't bother me. I just had the char main character pictures a bit older, personally. Right. So, um, But that's, you know, everyone envisages the, the, the characters from a book differently. So um, it's an app, the book is insane. Like it's, it's, it, try, it dances around different dimensions and different, it's, it has so many different influences. Uh, the gunslinger himself, 
I think was heavily inspired by Clint Eastwood I think so um, it would be very intriguing as to what they do with this the director I think has got good peg pedigree although I've not seen it um, Nicola Arcel I think his name is I believe he's Danish uh, directed a film called The Royal Affair which was supposed to be brilliant um, which I haven't got around to watching yet so I think they, they seem to have got a talented director on board Stephen King seems to be on board with it so I'll be very intrigued to see where it goes although I am dubious because I think the source material may well be unadaptable but we shall mm. see we shall see uh, Pete what have you got as a coming attraction well sir I am coming when was the release Dark Tower sorry I might have missed that uh, Dark Tower is out later this summer I don't know exactly okay, when so it will yeah. feature in our general yeah, summer yeah. section of yeah. films yeah so mine um, choice I mentioned maybe earlier on is um, again vital Baywatch uh, which oh, this looks <laughs> dreadful which dives onto our screens um, I think you've got to you've got to say about it haven't you really you, well, yeah you can't really ignore the rock in his uh, little swimming shorts can you no <laughs> for too long um, yeah, this is. There are there are reasons to be a little bit interested before we all sort of scoff at Baywatch. First of all, to me, it's a bit of an institution because I grew up watching it for you know all kinds of reasons, mainly the acting. Yes. <laughs> um, and um, then on the other hand, it's also directed by Seth Gordon. Seth Gordon sort of came to my attention through the documentary The King of Kong um, about video gaming. The man who made Horrible Bosses too made King of Kong. That is correct. Wow, yeah. I am disappointed in that. That is correct. And yeah, Horrible <laughs> Bosses and Horrible Bosses 2 and some other things that are not maybe so great. But then he's done a load of like guest directing on things like Parks and Rec and uh, Community okay. and The American Office and stuff like that. So he's worked with a whole load of sort of interesting, talented yeah. actors and stuff like that. And he made King of Kong, which was And he awesome, made King of so. Kong, which was really yeah. good. Um, yeah, uh, it stars The Rock, as I mentioned. It stars Alexander Daddario, who we saw together with The Rock in San Andreas. Yes. So they're reunited here. Um, and uh, Zach Efron, who uh, I think I had that thing with Zach Efron where I was like, I find him really irritating. Then I sort of give him a pass, and now I find him really irritating again. He seems to have made quite a lot of poor choices. I don't know, maybe for his career, good choices, but from to my mind, poor choices, mm. where he plays sort of like entitled popular kind of assholes, which maybe is a little bit what he's like in real life who knows oh, yeah. who knows I don't think there is Shots an out star like an out oh I can't think of the word but he, he's not a great actor but the roles he plays but he's a handsome fits them. he's a handsome yeah. devil yeah, he? he's a handsome devil and he knows it and that's kind of the problem like if he yeah. didn't know it so much he might be a bit more bearable I mean I'm, I'm kind of a, I don't think it would be any good I'm kind of intrigued because I think they're trying to go for like a 21 Jump Street vibe but mm. I think that worked well because it was directed by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller I don't think you'll be able to repeat that. And I, I like The Rock enough. Um, I'm not convinced it's going to be any good. But For those who are interested, this comes out, um, I think on general release at the end of this week, we're going to go and see a preview. Both of us, April. We're yes, see I have the, booked. Yes. A preview yeah, on uh, I'm Thursday very excited. evening. So, yeah, and I know maybe stateside it's a little bit later than that, I think a few days later. But, yeah, by uh, the time next the next show comes around, I'm sure we will both be champing at the bit to review Baywatch in all its, uh, yes. all its sunny glory. <laughs> Um, right. Feature reviews time, Pete. Yeah, how do we lead into that? You see, one thing, um, faithful listeners, that is going to be so great about bringing uh, Jack on board here is that these sections in the future will be broken up by some kind of sort of beautiful music or some like really <laughs> intricate thing that, yeah. that Jack will have slaved over for hours. Yeah. But on this occasion, it's basically... It's just, just us awkwardly going, it's the us next talking. section, please. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so another thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are two other things, though, aren't there, Paul? Two feature reviews this time. There around. are, yes. I'll put the ball in your court. 
what do you want to take on first? Because they're very different films. I want to start with Mindhorn, I think, uh, directed by Sean Foley and written by uh, Julian Barrett and an actor who very kindly liked our tweet when we said it was on in Cine World in Cheltenham and I've completely forgotten Simon Farnaby Simon Farnaby yes yeah, so written by Julian Barrett Simon Farnaby directed the, by Sean Foley who I think he's a first time director or certainly first time feature, feature director. director I think so yeah. yeah and Simon Farnaby people will know as the guy with the, with allegedly possibly the squintiest eyes on Mike <laughs> Bush, uh, who is the other half of the squint off so uh, that's certainly where he sort of struck yes. me as being from yes um, yes with those people involved Julian Barrett Simon Farnaby, uh, Sean Foley and others, maybe we know where we're going with what kind of film this is. Not particularly serious and not no. trying to take itself seriously. Um, shall I set it up? Set it up for bit? us, yeah. yeah. So um, the Julian, Barrett, well, Julian Barrett plays a washed up actor who is a little bit in the mould of um, someone like Bergerac, had a show like that. Uh, which was on, I believe, the set on the Isle of Man. Can I interject there for a second? Yes. If Bergerac had an eye that can see the truth. Yes, a sort of eye patch <laughs> with like a little hole in the middle of it, which, yes, literally allows him to see the truth. Um, and, he, yeah, he did quite well for a couple of seasons back there in his heyday, but he's fallen on harder times, the show's been cancelled, and now he's finding himself struggling to get any work at all. Uh, we see one scene where he goes into his agent and, it, you know, played for laughs, obviously, but he's just trying to get anything going whether it's sort of an embarrassing commercial or a, a guest appearance or, or anything like that but then he has a chance to bring himself back into the limelight when uh, a crazed killer known as or self-titled the kestrel uh says that the only person he will deal with is mindhorn not the actor that played Mindhorn, Mindhorn, the fictional character that he believes to be a real detective. So it's a bit like right. Galaxy Quest, really? A little bit like Galaxy Quest, absolutely. A little bit like um, something like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, yeah. in the sense of the sort of cancel show yes. and spoofy nature of the whole thing yeah. as well. Um, with all that stuff in mind, did this hit you, you know, in the funny bone? Did this make you laugh throughout? Did it not really work? What did you feel about it's it? It's funny you should say that. It's hilarious. Yeah. Dead air. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I've actually seen this twice now. Um, and the first time I watched it, I have to say, it left me a little bit colder than I expected it would do. Uh, and then the second time I watched it, I really enjoyed it and it seemed a bit pacier. So, I mean, comedy, you know, maybe it caught me in a slightly off mood on the first time I watched it. I, I don't think it did. So it's bizarre how comedy can catch you in different different frames of mind. Um, for the most part, though, I think it I think it works very well. It's it's silly. Um, it's a lot of fun, um, and it doesn't obviously obviously from the premise we've just set up doesn't take itself seriously Not in the all, slightest. Um, Julian Barrett, I think, is always watchable. Um, Simon Farnaby, I think, is very funny in this. I thought all the cast were on was on, were on pretty good. And both films, to be fair. both of those two very very game to sort of wear like short shorts <laughs> yeah. and stuff and like not not much else and just sort of goof off in a way where you know that you can see that they are really committed to the project and not afraid to embarrass themselves in the pursuit of comedy really i think for for me there was as much as i said i did i did like it overall for me i'd have liked to see a bit more of the surreal elements come into it that come into it towards the end when he does the capoeira thing and like and i'd like to see and like where he's with with like the plasticine phones and that kind of thing I'd have liked to have seen more surreal stuff into it and I think it would have then made me laugh more than it did yeah it, um, it's worth mentioning that that 
Julian Barrett's comedy partner Noel Fielding is not involved in this project at all yeah. and you got the impression through Mighty Boosh particularly that, that Noel Fielding was the sort of surrealist mind there and Julian Barrett is the maybe intellect and musician and strong comedy writer yeah. but maybe doesn't have the same artistic aesthetic as, mm. as Noel Fielding and that's why they worked so well on, yeah. that, on that show so maybe there's a bit less of that in as a result yeah um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned about Julian Barrett being strong, and I really would reiterate that. I think that um, we've talked about it a little bit on the show before, but not too long ago, he was in a show called Flowers, oh, which, which is unbelievable. If you haven't good. seen it, it is really the, the the greatest testament to the range of the guy because he'll make you laugh, like belly laugh in that show and in this film, I should say. But then he can also break your heart. I mean, there are sections in Flowers that that. Just, just broke me completely. Agreed. Yeah. Now we don't get that side of Julian Barrett's performance in this film, but he really is like a powerhouse. And I think that I come down in a similar place to you, Paul. But I think that because he is someone who is sort of so, so dear to my heart as a comedy presence, there's parts of the film where I feel like I probably was letting it off the hook a bit. Yeah, I didn't really rate Russell Tovey's the Kestrel character. I didn't rate I, that. Yeah, I'm not sure about Russell Tovey in general. Yeah, I'm I didn't not really. really sure I've, seen for, him, but... I've seen him. I've seen him be better elsewhere I think but I think he's probably like a really nice guy but I, I've never quite got him as an actor like he's always seemed a bit of a maybe just too much of an everyman but maybe that's how he's kept himself you know being, mm. being cast in various things and he sometimes comes across a bit um, like like a soap actor sorry yeah. Russell Toby he's not listening <laughs> is he not listening um, yeah so I, Andrea Riseborough in this is the police officer maybe a little bit wasted I thought that there were times where they could have done a bit more with the writing on yeah. the, with her character yeah I think the, the plot's kind of the weakest point but it, ultimately I suppose it doesn't hugely matter in a film like this but right and we, we should say like really in the, the cinematic landscape that we have in terms of like theatrical releases this is and should be treated as like manna from heaven because yes. we very rarely get a comedy to begin with we even more rarely get a comedy that's even passingly funny. Yeah, this is very funny on a number of occasions. Yes, and don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be negative. Reason. I just, you know, I I think it. I will. Well, I will. I'll probably try and clarify what I'm saying. It made me laugh. Yeah. Um. It. I think it could have made me laugh more if certain things had been a bit different. But I will certainly buy it and certainly be watching it again. And do you think by the second so. viewing you were beginning to see the truth? I think I could see the truth. Yes, and I did laugh a lot more on second viewing as it happened. So. So, yeah. Um, yeah, talking of the truth, Paul, we have a second feature review for today, don't we? And we need to get to the truth of um, Alien Covenant. Yes. Because of the fact that I think that there's a lot of debate online and elsewhere at the moment about whether this is an absolute failure or a pretty decent instalment in a sort of long-running series. Um, do you want to... You're probably slightly better placed to set this up than I am. So can you can you fill in the gaps for anyone who doesn't know I about think like I can, where this yeah. kind of sits in so, canon of... I think it, it's fairly obvious to all now, and I didn't... I'd say, and I, won't, I won't spoil any major plot points, but I think by now it, it's been out long enough and it's certainly clear on the internet that this is... Um, although they seem to... I think for me, try to hide it in the trailer. This is a Prometheus sequel. Um, we pick up a number of years after Prometheus, so after um, Elizabeth Shaw's disappeared off with David to try and reach Paradise and the home planet of the engineers. Um, so we, we pick up with a crew, uh, a colonisation team um, going off to uh, colonise a planet um, and they pick up a distress signal for want of a better description and go and investigate it. Now they obviously haven't seen the earlier Alien films and realise that this is a very bad idea to go and follow a distress signal. Um, they land on the planet um, 
and bad shit starts to happen. And that's as far as I go with yeah, the plot, I mean, that, really, I think. It, yeah. As much as you've said there sort of is in the trailer, so we're not yeah. we're not spoiling anything. We've seen bits of that in, in various iterations of the trailers as this film's been approaching. Um, yeah, I mean, we should say that also they decide to go and investigate on this planet, even though it seems like they're sort of throwing the rule book out the window by doing so. Yes, right? there's, you know, there's, they arrive on the planet, there's no life, and they see nothing wrong with this. Uh, and then you know, the planet ends up being a place where they shouldn't go. Yeah, so maybe we can start there, Paul, because um, I think something for me, and we'll get into sort of positives, which there are about this film, but something that sort of hamstrung it a bit for me is the way in which... Uh, whether it's really Scott's fault, may, maybe it's like modern sci-fi's fault, I don't know, but like, we don't seem to hold scientists in sci-fi films to really any kind of standard in terms of the way that they work anymore. Like, it's just, they walk around uh, on this planet poking stuff, not really worrying about it, yeah. like, smelling things, like, taking in all this potentially, like, noxious gas and, you know, uh, all these potentially lethal things... And oh, we can, oh, we can breathe the air, so they just take their helmets off and start breathing the air with no, right. like, like, no thought there like might be a contagion, which, too, right? oh shit, there is a contagion. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I just, you know, you and I, if we were there, I would like to think have the common sense not to do those things, and we yes. don't have a background in sort of super high-level science, which you would have to have in order to be on this kind to be on of a mission, right? mission yeah. So, yeah, that might seem like nitpicking, but it is a bit bothersome when some of the main sort of... Um, push points of the plot the things that set things in motion are basically people just like blundering around like fucking idiots and that sometimes makes you feel a bit ripped off in terms it's of not as bad in this as it was in Prometheus on. because there were some really really well, they were just like random loose yeah. cannon characters in Prometheus who were yeah. just like thrown in there and didn't seem to know what they were doing in, in that film but yeah I mean tell me something positive about it Paul I mean there are a, a number of positive things I think there are a number of positive things there's some there's some good set pieces here um, I, it looks great um, mm. the more I think about it the more I struggle for positives but, I, but at the same time I, it's not like I didn't enjoy it because I did I did come out of the cinema thinking that was decent uh, but not amazing I think I think yeah it looks fantastic I think some of the set pieces are good although they are essentially just the greatest hits of set pieces from previous films mm. um, you've got elements from Alien Resurrection strangely um, you've got elements we've got a set piece almost ripped directly from Alien 3 I think some of the fights with the aliens that's not a spoiler to say there'll be fights with aliens um, you probably have worked that out by now uh, seem to have come from aliens and then obviously the whole setting on the ship and you know the horror elements obviously from Alien which Ridley Scott is more handles more adeptly than the other scenes shall we say but then he made the original Alien mm. so that makes sense and, and in some places it's quite nice to see those elements other times I just wish the whole thing was a more honest to God Prometheus sequel they hadn't almost for I felt that the alien was forced into the end of Prometheus and didn't need to be there I'd have quite liked this to either have been an alien film or a straight up sequel to Prometheus where you learn more about the engineers now spoiler warning David arrives on the planet paradise and just kills all the engineers and you're like really that's it now so with you know you've You've set up this whole mystery about the engineers in Prometheus and everyone's criticised you for not answering questions about the engineers and all you think, think to do is for David to kill literally all of them off. That was a right. so massive this, misstep so this, for me. So this, massive misstep. Yeah, this, this speaks to sort of um, what I'd like to, to make a sort of wider point, which I think is that... I, I feel that sometimes, nowadays, we, um, as a, a sort of mass audience, tend to maybe hope for more than we're ever possibly going to get in terms of films that are a series that runs over not only years but decades and I think that of course fans were clamouring for the like best possible version of you know an updated 
alien universe and, and you know with the technology that is at the disposal of someone like Ridley Scott these days however I think for the firstly Ridley Scott is now in his 70s when he made the first film he was a much much younger man I think secondly that the, the mythology here is often just sort of spooled out because it's what's convenient at the time of the release yeah. window. Do you know what I mean? None like, of it. None of it really. Ma- I mean, you've got you've got chestbursters now when aliens are born that are fully formed and have arms, and the, it makes no. Considering Ridley Scott launched the franchise, he seems to pay no respect to the original films. But then, as I think, what you're getting to is why should he? Right. Like, why should he? But also, like I suppose, what's our counterpoint? Yeah. What's our saga that's gone over like many, many years, where there's sort of rich mythology that's Star been Wars, I suppose. done justice? Yeah. But then you get a lot of backlash about some of the recent yeah. Star Wars output, and I mean, you know, that's for for other people who are better informed than me to to discuss and sort of uh, lash out, I guess. But yeah, th- there was something about this that to me felt like, well, it, it's fine. It's fine. It's a sort of throw around alien film. I think it's but that's sort of the worst thing you could say as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I think the the trouble is, I think expectation again was very high because it's an alien film. I think it was probably for me on a par with Prometheus. And again, I like Prometheus for what it is, which is a sci-fi action film. But I'm aware of what it could have been. Mm. And again, I kind of sit there with Covenant, going, "You could have answered the questions from Prometheus. You could have made this a straight Prometheus sequel and actually made Prometheus make a bit more sense." And what they've done, I think, is try to try to almost forget about Prometheus but I think that harms this film because there are obviously elements Dave, David's in it and it is a straight sequel to Prometheus and I just yeah again I, I came out of it enjoying it thinking yeah that again is another solid sci-fi action film that I would probably watch again but with the rich heritage that it's got everyone every time an alien film drops is expecting them to be as good as alien or aliens and I don't think that will happen again right I mean as you have um, probably quite rightly hammered me for recently I haven't yet finished watching I'm like halfway through alien 3 and I haven't seen alien resurrection so my bad sorry everyone but yeah for me by a country mile the best film in the series is alien the original Mm. alien I I know that some people feel that the sequel is is a is better in my opinion that's not the case and I think it's for me for a distinct reason and a distinct reason that speaks to why this film doesn't work anything like as well for me which is that alien is about what is unseen and what it can get you and what's out there and what's off you know out of frame then you have Ridley Scott over the ensuing years who's become more and more of a sort of epic visual director making sort of historic epics yeah. and stuff like that and really like um, reveling in scope and yeah, yeah things like yeah. that scope and scale and there's nothing wrong with that but then when you come back to the alien universe and expect the director who made Alien to make a film in of that ilk I think you're hoping for something that was never going to occur yeah. because for me I think my favourite scene in Alien is the uh, Harry Dean Stanton demise Yes, it's scene, amazing, yeah. Which is playing off looking at the reflections in the eye of a yes. cat. Like, it's a bit of just virtuoso filmmaking, but it's all about being tight in and enclosed and trapped. And what we get increasingly is, like in Covenant, wide spaces yeah. running about, CGI, you know, big, big scale and, and razzmatazz that that maybe for me isn't what made no, Alien. and that was done so, and that, that element of uh, the alien creature was done so well in Aliens. Mm. So, I mean, they're not going to leave them alone. I, I just think for, for me to close on it, it was okay. I, I liked yeah. it enough. Yeah, it, but that's it. Like I say, it's, it's yeah. fine, which is a good and also like a terrible thing yes. for, a, for an Alien film and for a Ridley Scott film. So, um, yeah, I mean, make your own mind up, obviously, and I'm sure a lot of people have and, and will. Have you seen this yet, Jackinson? I have not, actually. Um, I've been 
put it on. Sorry about the spoiler one in there, Jack. That's you should okay. have, uh, you should so have I, shot no, me down. I should have done. <laughs> yeah. have, have you been um, like I've clamoring never, to I've see it? I've never been a massive Alien fan. Mm. I watched the first one, I think, when I was 12 or so. And never really got into it. See, I don't think at twelve is the right age to watch Absolutely. it. Absolutely, probably, probably as an adult, not. you'd probably uh, Aliens at twelve aliens, is like yeah. a life-changing experience. And then I watched. <laughs> I mean, I watched Prometheus when it came out. And I really, I, I really enjoyed it because it was slightly different mm. and it didn't feature the aliens as much um, as obviously you said it, right at the end. Um, but yeah, I think I will go and see it. Either mm. I'll wait until it's on Blu-ray mm. or catch it. You know, it's it's last few dates in the cinema it's it's also you mentioned at, at Prometheus I think it's a bit of a shame that Numi Rapace was like yeah just written out she was written a, out. probably I the mean, best we thing don't need to more than that, really? but yeah you know from from again press coverage and, and previews and, and trailers and stuff that she was written out and Catherine Waterston's in this and Catherine Waterston's a fine actress but I, I don't think it's a great piece of casting again it's just again they seem de so desperate to try and relive the franchise's success it's like we've already had Ripley we don't need another Ripley like what she's fine but what it? we do we need, need another a, Ripley like, is a, an alien bit at the end that gets a bit sexy because yeah. that's used to happen in like every <laughs> alien film yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, oh it's, it's yeah. the end let's, let's show a nipple yeah. or two or whatever oh, yeah which is almost bringing us to the end of this show, but we've got homework to do, and no nipples, please, Pete. Well, talking of which, Paul, <laughs> yeah. that, that's the perfect segue for what I'm going to set you yes. for homework. <laughs> um, because I, uh, I, it's not as sort of vengeful as it might seem, but I'm going to set uh, a film that stars um, Kevin Hart, Paul, um, one of your very favourite actors, I believe. I, yeah, I, I'm not a fan, um, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so, um, Kevin Hart came to mind just because um, he's a guy that... I, I wouldn't say, you know, a massive advocate of his work. He doesn't need me to advocate him. He is a many times over multimillionaire, maybe the most successful stand-up comedian in America at the moment, um, and a very successful film star. But he cropped up in Fool's Gold in a sort of earlier film role, because I guess that film's nine years old now. Uh, and it made me think it would be really quite sort of funny if I set Paul um, Get Hard, which is uh, him and Will Ferrell, where Will Ferrell is a, a guy um, who is convicted of some corporate fraud, I believe, and he's going to have to go to San Quentin Maximum Security Well, I kind of like Will Ferrell, so there's a... There's a yeah. Oh, you wait. Balance, you yeah. wait, yeah. sir. You wait. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's got to go to San Quentin Prison. It's the place where Metallica made that St. Anger video before. Right? Okay. You've seen that. And um, he looks for advice and guidance from one Kevin Hart, essentially, because Kevin Hart's black. So he thinks that that'll be his in to like know how to survive oh, I, in, and in I prison. Bet hilarity ensues. Isn't and, it? and hilarity ensues. It was also ensues, yeah. in one of the scary movies. Ah. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Re I kind of thought Kevin Hart had come into being in feature films the last sort of five years, but I'm I'm all okay. kinds of wrong because it's been yeah. a decade at he's least. Been, yeah, he's been around for a long time. Good. So, um, how about from your side, Paul? Have you well, do you know what? I'm you know I, I'm, I'm still shocked that you've given me a Kevin Hart film, <laughs> to be honest, especially as I've picked you know a, a section, a short. You've got a short film for homework, you cool. know, and it's directed by Nacho Villalonga as well, as obviously directed Costa was talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, and it is his directed section from the horror, I suppose, anthologies or yeah, kind of portmanteau kind of thing. Uh, VHS Viral, which is a, I think Viral is the third one in a series of like horror. I've horror got to be honest, I haven't basically. seen any of these VHS things. Okay. I know what they are, and yeah. I've been interested in like some of the names attached to the sections. Yeah. Uh, you know, this guy included, but I've never caught up with him. So, so I'm setting you his section of VHS Viral called Parallel Monsters. You know what? You know what, Paul? I might go like above and beyond and watch like the entire thing. 
You right. should. There's some interesting ones on there. I think um, on VHS 2, there is a fantastic section from Gareth Evans, the director of The Raid, that is one of the most over-the-top exploitation horror things I've ever laid eyes on. Nice. So that's worth a watch as well. That's in VHS 2. But your homework is Parallel Monsters from VHS Viral. Cool. Well, so, that brings us to the end of the show, I would say, for Yes, this week, we'll yeah. be back next week. So we'll be back on schedule now. Um, yes, we will. It was an aberration. It won't happen again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we should say, as we always do, that you can get in touch with us via Twitter. It's at Stranger Cinema. Uh, also Facebook, Strangers in the Cinema. And uh, load of stuff going up on Instagram, so you can find us there too. All the episodes are archived over at soundcloud.com forward slash Strangers in the Cinema. Um, yeah get in touch let us know what you thought of the episode what you agree with and disagree with and um, yeah we'll be back in a week's time yes catch up with you then